Welcome to the Easel Studio Podcast. This is the audio version of an episode that was originally broadcast on easel.eu. If you wish to watch rather than listen, go to Easel Campus to see all the episodes on demand. Hello, everyone. Uh, we would like to welcome all of you to this ESOL studio. You already know this is your weekly hepatology broadcast news. Uh, today, uh, we will be uh, discussing uh, in this uh, journal hepatology live episode on the topic, which is the stigma on alcohol-related uh, disorders and also alcohol-related liver disease. My name is Patrizia Burra. I'm a hepatologist who works in Padua University Hospital. I'm the, the, the chief of uh, the multivisual transplant unit in my university hospital. And it's a uh, really a pleasure for me to launch this, uh, uh, this studio. Uh, this is based on the, uh, really an amazing uh, review that was published uh, by uh, Professor uh, Schomerus and, and, and colleagues. And that was uh, specifically dedicated to the stigma on alcohol-related disorders. And that was followed uh, this year by the publication on hepatology of a letter by Professor Carrieri, where she underlined what uh, was really uh, the point made by the review. And I think I like very much a sentence that I reported as originally it is. Uh, this review is a, a lucid, profound, and timely analysis of the under-addressed topic. So I think that does summarize exactly what is uh, the problem today. And I will uh, give the podium over to you, Georg, to uh, introduce uh, the first of our speakers. Yeah, thank you, Patricia. Um, I'm Georg Schmiros, a professor of psychiatry at Leipzig University in Germany. Um, and I first would like to, to give an overview about the topic of stigma because it's we, we have uh, researched a lot about it in, in the field of psychiatry, but I think in the field of psych uh, hepatology, it's, it's, it's a new approach, which I think is quite fruitful because it's a, it explains a lot of the difficulties we have in dealing with people who have alcohol use disorders. So if we can show the, the slide that I was allowed to, to show you, um, the, the stigma of alcohol use disorder is centered around blame. And that makes it different from other mental disorders, because people are not blamed for ha having schizophrenia, for example, but having alcohol use disorder or another substance use disorders is really connected with blaming someone. It's, it's a moral stigma, because it can best be understood as a, as a signal of the environment of us towards those with a disorder that we disapprove of their behavior and that we expect them to change. So I, I don't like that you're drinking too much. You have to stop drinking, otherwise, I'll be treating you badly. So, uh, and this being treated badly is kind of maybe the, the hidden intention is showing people that we disapprove and expecting them to change. But in fact, it doesn't help change. It's, it's isolating people, it's devaluing them. It's making things more difficult. That's the way stigma is doing harm. And it's doing that in, in three different ways, which are here on this slide. It's, the obvious thing is public stigma, the attitudes of the general public, which I will experience, for example, if I am drunk and go to an emergency department and I might be treated differently from somebody who has a heart attack. People might be more unfriendly towards me because they think it's my failure to, to have gotten drunk. 
even if I have a severe alcohol disorder and it's not not really that much under my control, still people blame me for for being this person with the alcohol problem. So what I'm experiencing is devaluation, um, being blamed, discrimination, and there are many more instances. And one reaction would be that I try to avoid the stigma so that I'm I'm not going to the emergency department or that I'm not telling anybody about my alcohol problem. So even if public stigma is only anticipated and avoided by secrecy and avoidance of help, it still has an effect because I don't get help and I can't talk to anybody and I won't reach out for help. It's, it's a taboo, which I'm, I'm determined to deal with by myself to avoid discrimination by others. So that's the, the public side of stigma. But there's also an internalized side of stigma inside myself because I feel ashamed not talking to anybody because I, I feel that I'm a failure having an alcohol problem because I have the same prejudices and the same negative stereotypes about people with alcohol problems like anybody else. And when I realize I'm one of them, I have to apply all these stereotypes to myself and that is painful. And we know that this leads to loss of self-efficacy. So people are less confident that they can actually quit drinking, which just makes it more difficult to overcome an alcohol problem. But there are also ways to, to avoid self-stigma because if I'm just denying that I have a problem, I don't have to stigmatize myself. If I'm saying, well, I like drinking, that's my way of life. Um, I know other people who drink even more, so it's not a problem that I'm drinking. I'm kind of actively trying to normalize my, my drinking habits and by that avoiding self-stigma, which is just a quite understandable way to do because uh, self-stigma is so painful. So that makes my problem recognition really late. I will only recognize that I have an alcohol problem if, if it's really, really big. For example, if I have a liver cirrhosis or something like that, which is your field, I guess. Uh, but besides of these attitudinal um, ways of, of stigma, there's also a structural side of stigma, which is very important because there are a lot of rules that apply to people with substance use disorders, which discriminate them. I mean, you all know about the abstinence rule before liver transplantation, that is your field, but even if the, in the field of psychiatry, we have rules that somebody who is actively drinking cannot get psychotherapy. So if I have a post-traumatic stress disorder and I need drinking to, to cope with my flashbacks, that I first need to get rid of my drinking before I get treatment for my flashbacks, which is kind of paradox because then I, I have to cure myself before I get help. So that's, there's a lot of rules that really disadvantage people who have one problem too many, which is uh, the substance use problem. And also in healthcare settings, the best way to avoid this kind of stigma is not talking about substance use. If I'm having psychotherapy, I'm not going to tell my psychotherapist that I'm drinking because otherwise he might just refer me to a substance use service and might stop seeing me as a, as a, thera uh, as a psychotherapeutic uh, therapist therapist. Um, and also, if I'm, I'm not going to the services, I'm just avoiding this kind of um, problem. So um, also with structural stigma, the anticipation of this discrimination and of this um, uh, stigmatization leads to avoidance of help, of non-disclosure of drinking problems, and uh, leads to delay of help seeking or, or uh, avoidance of, of specialized services and, and so on. So uh, we have three ways that stigma is acting via public stigma, self-stigma and structural stigma. And it's, it's effective if it's enacted, but it's also effective 
if it's only anticipated and avoided, because then I'm all on myself and don't get the help that I probably need. So that was my brief introduction to the stigma con uh, concept. And now I'm happy to have Patricia Carrieri here, who wrote this very thoughtful uh, letter on, on the stigma of uh, alcohol use disorders, particularly with regard to liver disease. Uh, she's a researcher for epidemiology and uh, public health in Marseille. And Patricia, may I ask you, what do you think, which are the, the consequences of stigma and discrimination in people with alcohol use disorders? Um, I think it's very important, uh, these questions, because uh, before I, uh, answering this question, we needed to tell more, to, to say more about uh, how stigma manifests in healthcare setting. And actually, you mentioned some, uh, some uh, way, uh, ways it manifests, but there are other ways, for instance, uh, lack of empathy from uh, staff, or also uh, uh, poor, poor communication between uh, patients and providers. This is a form of stigma. And of course, uh, many people with alcohol use disorders experience something very special, which is called deshumanization. Deshumanization is a condition uh, they are treated as they are not uh, human beings. And uh, this has dramatic consequences because uh, it may impact mental health outcomes. So uh, you mentioned the self-stigma. Self-stigma is, is really at the heart of, uh, of the problem of the burden of liver disease because self-stigma lead, leads in ca to care avoidance. So people tend to avoid to go to services because they are stigmatized, they are discriminated. And of course, uh, people in this case can also uh, uh, experience a progression of their liver disease. And there's a consequence because there is a progression. Uh, we have at public health level an increase in the burden of liver disease, alcohol-related liver disease. And uh, there is a kind of vicious cycle between self-stigma, uh, disease progression, and poor social condition. Because uh, people who avoid care, uh, they, are, they have uh, it's a more severe uh, liver disease, and they have less, uh, fewer opportunities to work. So this is why this, this vicious cycle, which is aggravated by the process of disurbanization. And uh, I think it's important to intervene uh, on these issues because uh, it's a, a very uh, complicated issues and we need, uh, we need to, several intervention, multi-level intervention to block this vicious cycle. I completely agree, but I think intervening in stigma is, is not trivial. I mean, we are used to medical intervention, so we have a patient and we have kind of tools that we can use, but what, what do you think, what should be the interventions that we use to address uh, the stigma of substance use disorders in order to help our patients? Uh, thank you. This, this is an important question because uh, uh, we know that, for instance, language matters in uh, liver disease. And uh, of course, there is an effort to reduce uh, uh, the language-related stigma, for instance, avoided to turn alcoholic in the names, but this is not enough. Uh, we, need, uh, we need to intervene at uh, healthcare uh, staff level, but also at the patient's level. For health staff, uh, we need to uh, deliver anti-stigma interventions which are called social contact. Social contact are special anti-stigma intervention led by peers. Peers are people who are 
belong to the communities of people with liver disease or are close to them. And they, they, this, this type of intervention to, to remove stigma and discriminatory attitudes are very effective. But we also need to intervene on people because they are suffering from self-stigma and all the consequences of dehumanization. So we need also peer-led interventions, which are based on, for instance, they can be treatment patients' education, but with the aim of reducing self-stigma and providing social support, because this is one of the most important interventions we can have to uh, against dehumanization. We also have, uh, uh, I think that at the policy level, we need innovative policies that, uh, because uh, we need to target uh, unhealthy alcohol use, but also social inequities because they are so linked together. I agree. I, I particularly like what you said about the, the peer involvement that, because from the field of psychiatry, we know that interventions delivered by people with own lived experience are often much more powerful than those delivered by professionals and particularly with substance use disorders where a lot of shame and self-devaluation is involved. If you have someone who has experienced the same, I think you will be much more open for his experiences and his, um, his, his yeah. example really. So I think that's quite, there's quite a lot of potential in these peer interventions that we are not using yet probably. Yeah. Um, and I think following what you said, Georg, uh, of course there is a link with the stigma and the underreport of the liver disease, the associated liver disease uh, due to alcohol consumption. And that's uh, uh, is, is really an issue. And this is why uh, the, the second guest that we have uh, uh, today is uh, Professor Maturan. Uh, Philippe Maturan is a professor of hepatology. Is the chief of the Department of Hepatology Gastroenterology, University Hospital of Lille, and he has really run his research group as I had since uh, I think more than 20 years. And I think uh, uh, Philippe really has the experience, uh, a personal experience, because he's the, the, the one that is the first one in the world that proposed something, an alternative treatment uh, that was denied for 50 years to some of the patients with really end-stage liver disease. And uh, this is why I would like to, to, to call Philippe and, uh, and to ask him, in, in, in the discussion about this stigma, that's uh, a mixture of uh, self-stigma, the public stigma, is, is there, is, is, is really true what is the, the, the perception that uh, uh, we could realize have a consequence, a delay uh, to the assess of uh, the treatment for patients with uh, alcohol-related liver disease, Philippe? Yes, it's it's a, it's a very crucial issue, and I was hearing to my colleagues, and I share most of their expertise. And what which is very important is, for example, the terminology alcoholic liver disease, which is completely a, a nonsense terminology, as you know, because it's it's equal. If you are telling that the terminology is that every person has a liver disease related to alcohol is an alcoholic, in fact, it's just an alcoholic use disorder. So as you know, Patricia, uh, the European Association of Liver Disease and American Association of Liver Disease, both of them decide to get rid of this old terminology. So now we are, we are supposed, and I think probably there will be an agreement between the two societies because the American decide to, 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 to change this terminology to alcohol-associated liver disease. 
And uh, for the East Self, the European part, it will be it's uh, alcohol-related liver disease. So I think it's at least this one is a very important thing. So we need to change the terminology because if you start to call a, a patient by a definition which is not applying to himself or to herself, I think we are in the wrong direction. So I think this is important step forward. The second thing is also to, to look at this field more, uh, I would say, with, with a neutral and, and a position because research is in, field is, in this field is also associated with, with a stigma. Because I think when we come to the politician level, it appears that this, the, 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 the super financial support provided by the, the, the countries are not clearly not enough. And this uh, is associated, as you know, but it's, uh, you already raised this point, to the fact that there is a delay in diagnosis and there is a delay in treatment. So every study worldwide, all of them did show, do show that a patient with alcohol-associated liver disease or alcohol-related liver disease had a worse prognosis due to the delay to, of diagnosis and delay to referral. We need to change this drastically. And uh, we need also to use the same word in every specialty, uh, alcohol at risk, uh, uh, alcohol uh, at uh, important alcohol consumption, or we can say alcohol above the liver risk, which are associated with development of a disease. So we need to change all those terminologies that will be helpful. And uh, for example, as you know, for the metabolic part, metabolic liver disease, has been called non-alcoholic liver disease. It means that I have a liver disease, I'm just safe because it's non-alcoholic. So, so we need also to apply to also change this, this non-alcohol related liver disease that will be more uh, uh, more fit, more will be better for the field. So this is, yes, I completely share the fact that sigma start with terminology and sigma start to the fact that the specialty, and I, I thank all of us for being there. We need also to probably share our experience. We'll discuss about this later on with the integrative approach or screening of liver disease in the, outside the, the world of liver disease, liver unit. Do you think, Philippe, that this, uh, let's say, terminology, who is our target? As a hepatologist uh, that we are dedicated to alcohol-related disorders and alcohol-related liver disease, uh, where should we start in order to really to, to make these changes in the use of terminology? So first, first, we need to promote this. We need to promote an ESL and ISL. There's the two scientific societies will have a key impact on this. And we need every time those societies are, uh, need to, to explain to the health policy and the government that the, the new terminology, which is forming better. So yes, I think that at least he has to start with the European society because they are more powerful than individual uh, initiative. And uh, he has to, to start from the MD, the psychiatrist, because even the psychiatric or the specialist in addiction are telling sometimes alcoholic disease. So I think we need to have a common terminology. They have to start by European society or anyways, scientific society, specialist, and then go to the, uh, the general practitioner. Because if you are able to change the terminology to the general practitioner and the patient, they will be more I would say uh, they will have no stigmatization to say I'm just an alcohol-associated liver disease, but I'm not an alcoholic. You know what I mean? That's very important. Terminology is a crucial thing. Terminal is definitely crucial. And so following what you said, it, it, it is uh, mandatory, let's say, in some way that in our units, we do not need, we cannot really stay uh, as a hepatologist only. Uh, definitely, we know that there is a, a big change if we have the professionals that are dedicated to the addition specialists, let's say, 
either psychology, psychiatric, and uh, additional specialists, that makes a big difference in terms of the evaluation of patients. And if we move into transplantation, also the, uh, the, the, the outcomes after transplantation. Uh, surely you have a big experience on that. What is your recommendation for the center that have developed also the liver transplant uh, activity for alcohol-related liver disease? So for who's, it's for George or me? The integration with- oh, it's for me, it's for me, okay. Yeah. No, no, the, the integrative approach is crucial because for example, uh, every time a specialist in the liver, without having this interaction with our colleagues, when I start even 10 years ago, I am telling the patient, you need just to stop to drink. It's abstinence, that's a crucial thing. We just win. there's only one goal, perfect goal. But in fact, as you know, for example, in the field of, uh, all the alcohol effect related to the liver disease, the WHO uh, published a, a risk uh, a level of according to your consumption. And if you decrease by two of the risk, you have been associated with an improvement in survival, whatever the, the cause of, the, of death. So as an example now, I'm start, starting to tell to my patients, it's more than five or six years ago, it's, it's crazy, but that's the reality, to say, okay, I ask you first to start to decrease your consumption. You have to decrease your consumption at least by at least 40 or 50%. That is associated with a decreased risk of mortality, and this is important. And this, when you explain this patient clearly what is your objective related to a quantity of a quantity of a level, a amount of alcohol, the patient can follow you. And sometimes, I can uh, tell you that with my addiction specialist who is working with us, we are able to explain the patient and therefore the patient is decreasing his, his alcohol level. And even at that time, I am telling you it's a success, not the perfect, the perfect one, but at least it's a success because you are decreasing your risk of mortality. So this is the integrative approach. And also I think the integrative approach has to go now to the addiction specialist. We have to be there. We have to identify the patient at risk of having an extensive fibrosis because if we are able to identify them, we have put this guy on the screening of ultrasound. If we are able to do that, we will improve the outcome because we will decrease the risk of having a late diagnosis of hepatocellular carcinoma. And also, we can also focus on those who are already close to be cirrhotic. So the integrative approach has to go to the double place. So every specialist has to go to outside his world of activity. Yeah, you reminded me that uh, ISOL has uh, really supported the Diesel Lancet Commission on 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 the uh, on the all the burden of liver disease in Europe and uh, uh, really listing some uh, uh, recommendation for the policymakers, and that should really be uh, another point to make uh, with the uh, uh, integration and with the resources to be dedicated to all the units where. Hepatology should really work together with psychiatric psychologists and, and uh, even the social workers because sometimes there is also the problem of uh, supporting those people if they cannot do on, on their own. So maybe maybe Gail can, can take over now for the, let's say, some concept of the final message or comment to what uh, Philip no, and I just, I just wanted to double down on this uh, harm reduction or, or reduction of the amount of, of alcohol approach because I think that's really important because if I'm communicating you need to stop drinking then it's, it's a yes or no and if the patient manages to not to drink for two weeks and then has a weekend where he or she is drinking again he feels like a failure or like having failed this task and then it's, you have this moral 
component again that 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 I know what it's right, which is abstinence, and you are a failure because you didn't manage to do that. But if I have an, a gradual approach, that the less the better, and of course, drinking no alcohol is the healthiest thing. But uh, the less you drink, the better. Then it's much easier to communicate about drinking, and then you can really appreciate. It's it's excellent that you're not drinking. Uh, liquors anymore but only beer and if it's only one beer in the evening that's great because before that it was a bottle of wine and that's just a lot of more more alcohol so I think it makes the communication easier and and lifts this uh, the weight of this moral judgment that you are either abstinent or you are a failure so I, I think that's quite important um, yeah and I think that's a good bridge to to my to the to the final part of this podcast the the final messages um because patricia uh, i wanted to ask you about this communication thing because we we have learned that communication is quite crucial with when dealing with drinking problems how do you think can we improve communication with uh, with clients who have alcohol problems Yes, I think it's important to understand that the communication is central for people with alcohol use disorder and the poor communication is a form of stigma. So speaking about alcohol, I know it is very difficult, especially in primary care. Uh, so why it is difficult? Because there are several reasons that uh, Philippe mentioned, but uh, one is that uh, people with alcohol use disorder tend to deny their consumption and physicians really don't know how to talk about this. So uh, one issue which was also mentioned by Philippe is that uh, in, in a sector, in, sec in, in services, uh, in primary care services, sometimes they are not completely aware about all treatment options and about all possible outcomes. So uh, patients don't feel sometimes ready for alcohol abstinence and uh, uh, there are other strategies, such as reducing alcohol drinking that you mentioned, reducing alcohol-related herbs, but these are not yet uh, uh, expressed, available in primary care. It's, we are not ready yet. So I think, really, we need adequate training for physicians about how to communicate about alcohol use. And uh, also, how, this is important because it's a way to engage them in care. So training again it's our message and maybe if i may ask uh, philippe uh, to give a message because i think uh, our colleagues that are connected uh, uh, to this uh, uh, studio would like to know what is the outcome when we try to work at top level let's say in uh, avoiding stigma including patient access to treatment so what about the outcomes? How, how can we do evaluate the outcomes to say if we are really getting better and try to solve at least in our, let's say, centers uh, uh, the issue overall? So, so for example, we need to change the outcome. And no, the end point, as you know, the perfect one is, is survival and it will be still the best one. So, but we need, for example, to simple things for liver transplantation, as you know, and Patricia, you are a leader in this field, and I hope that we change also what is a relapse in alcohol after liver transplantation. We need to change this because this is associated with outcome. If the, the uh, transplant person are drinking like us, more, more at least of us, 
these considered as a failure and we do not do that. None of us are supposed to have an alcohol problem. So we need to change probably also what will be an outcome. Outcome for associated alcoholic liver disease may be the probability of being compensated. If I, decomp I am coming in the decompensated stages, as mentioned by George, I am de decreasing my alcohol intake and then now I am now a compensated person, meaning no compensated liver disease, my risk of martyritis drastically uh, decreased. So we need to raise the outcome associated with the outcome who are validated surrogate marker of, of, uh, of death. We need also to differentiate outcome who are in the end of the liver specialist. When a patient is coming with severe liver disease, the job of the specialist is to bring this bridge of living to relapse in alcohol because the alternative choice, the guy is dying from the liver decomposition. So we need also to bring the fact that there is short outcome related to organ dysfunction, where the therapeutic, the pharmaceutical therapeutic company has to come. And then after that, when the guy is being, due to the therapy in a compensated status, this is an integrative approach with George and his colleagues in order to help us out at least to decrease the alcohol consumption. If we are there, if we are there, that would be a perfect world. I want to mention one thing, which for me is very important. Tertiary intervention. Already we are talking of primary, secondary intervention. We never talk about tertiary intervention. Because if you are looking at the field of diabetes, primary, you stop to, to, to get weight, you step to get, to get obese, you don't have uh, diabetes. When you have diabetes, you are supposed to secondary intervention to prevent the complication. <clears throat> but when you are already complicated, they are still working on it. It's a tertiary intervention. In the field of, of alcohol-related liver disease, it's become crazy that we are only talking about primary, secondary intervention, no more tertiary. It means that I already have a cirrhosis. I am on the freeway of death and nobody cares. We need to change this. We need to say, we have to talk about all the intervention. The guy before having the, the problem of alcohol use disorder, the guy before having a cirrhosis, but the guy also is at a cirrhotic stage. If we are there, we are in like a very, very far away to, to what we are now. And I hope that the young, young has to be there. When some the terminologies are young, you know that, Patricia, when we are the same generation, when we start alcohol, somebody else are asking me, do you have an alcohol problem? That was the initial issue. If you want to work in alcohol, it means that you have an alcohol problem. I don't have an alcohol problem, but I am a passionate of patients who are dying and we are not giving them anything. So we need to have those type. And I think, thank you for, for, uh, for inviting me to participate, but we need to have this interdisciplinary approach of a complex issue. And, uh, and this is great. If thank you, thank you very much, Philippe. We know that the, the huge experience that you have, you've been really uh, showing us for, as I said, for the first time in, in the entire world, just to show that we can even propose the daily liver transplantation to patients still drinking. There are different categories. Also, the of drinking different risk factors of relapsing doesn't, doesn't mean that uh, we had uh, uh, for with transplanted patients with hepatitis C for 30 years uh, with 80% of recurrence of the hepatitis C and the need of retransplantation. So uh, where is the, the, the comparison? So I, th I think uh, now we have a, a sort of modern uh, view in, in, in transplant medicine too. And as you said, from our generation to today, we're really changing so much. And we believe and we hope that the new generation of hepatologists will really have a different uh, attitude uh, as a medical doctor too. Uh, because to make the, 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 the change, uh, we need to be convinced ourselves as, as hepatologists, medical doctors, uh, together with the practitioner. But to ourselves, we really need to, to trust in what we say and what we do. 
So to 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 Georg again, the, the up, over to you, Georg. Yeah, I'm I'm happy that I, I can conclude this uh, this podcast with research because I mean the field of stigma it's 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 not only attitudes it's also it's a field of research we can actually we have to to show what is useful against stigma and we also have to show how stigma is doing harm just to uh, to make clear that is a problem and I'm glad that you Patricia uh, has have um, prepared a slide and, and the last take home message yeah. about the directions of future research so. Please. Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, actually, we know that uh, stigma responsible from the current burden of liver disease in general, but also in particular for alcohol-related liver disease. So we need to break this vicious cycle and research can help us to do that, to see how to do that. So uh, there is a relationship with stigma, care avoidance, liver disease progression, and increase in social inequities. So the main message for me is to involve peers in many novel, innovative strategies for fighting against stigma. So uh, for instance, uh, we have already experienced in the field of hepatitis C that this worked. So we can replicate these models in the field of alcohol use disorders. Uh, for instance, uh, we, we, we can think about some models involving peers to reduce stigma and uh, uh, helping people to, uh, to, to engage in care, for instance. But uh, also the lack of uh, estimates of the effect of stigma and anti-stigma interventions on care avoidance, because these estimates are very important because in the future, we will need to model which are all these effects, which is the best strategy to reduce the burden of alcohol use disorders related liver disease. In addition, I think uh, that uh, all you said, uh, Philippe in particular mentioned uh, that we need attractive models of comprehensive care. We know that uh, people with alcohol use disorders suffer from comorbidities, in particular psychiatric comorbidities. And we need to, to do that, to provide care in a, in a simplified, with a simplified approach because they have very complicated pathways sometimes. And this can be done with the help of peers as well. So just to give a final message, let's conduct research and actions uh, with people with alcohol use disorder and not for people. So this is the main message. So we need to involve peers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Patrice. I think it's absolutely clear. And uh, with the, these uh, take-home, take let's say, messages, I would like to thank uh, uh, my co-chair, Professor Schomerus, uh, to San Patrizia Cartieri and, and Philippe Matren for the discussion. And I really hope you understand that this is part of uh, the ESOL family, ESOL community. So may I remind all of you that are not uh, yet ESOL members to become uh, ESOL members, and as a closing remarks, uh, thank, I would like to thank also the, the office, the ESOL office that's supporting us in this organization, all of you that attended this, uh, uh, this studio, uh, the journal hepatology staff also, because we really tried to publish this paper that raised this issue as we discussed today. Thank you very much to all of you and see you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>